Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best tech leaders in the world to help you scale from 2 million to 100 million error. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Justin Welsh, uh, the founder of the official Justin and former SVP of sales at Passion Pop. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's it's really great to be here, and I'm I'm excited about the conversation, so I appreciate it. Likewise. And yeah, let, let's get to know a little bit more about yourself and uh, how did you end it coaching another um, SaaS founders uh, in, in the space? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I started with, you know, I, I came into sales in 2003 and, um, you know, the first six years of my sales career was really quite poor. I didn't do very well. I got fired from a bunch of jobs and I wasn't very successful. And in 2009, I got really lucky and landed a job in New York City at a, a young tech company called ZocDoc, where I was the 10th employee hired there. And, you know, I spent about five years there and they would go from, you know, just 10 of us to almost 700 people and be valued at about a little less than $2 wow. billion. And I got a chance to be on that rocket ship and it gave me exposure to so much growth, to so many smart people. Um, and I turned that exposure into my first executive job, uh, which I started in 2015 at a company called Patient Pop here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I was what you might call a stretch VP, right? I was a guy who they were going to bring in and, you know, maybe I was going to get them to 1 million or 3 million or 5 million. And then they were going to hire, you know, someone with 20 years experience who had built a big business before. Right. And, you know, it worked out better than that. So I got an opportunity to be there for about four and a half years, um, grew the business from zero dollars in one salesperson up to about 140 plus salespeople and just shy of 60 million in recurring revenue. And um, in August of this past year, um, I left that business and began advising and consulting really for SMB SaaS founders, which is my specialty is high velocity, high transactional. I like to say less than 15K in less than 15 days. If you got a small ACV and a short sales cycle, that's where I love to play. And so that's how I came to be in, in my new business, which is just, you know, my own name. So that's amazing. And, and congrats for the great track record. And um, yeah, in terms of introduction, we, we always talk about the triple two times, double three times rule on the show. And you see nowadays there are different trends, uh, people who believe that we should triple or double every single year. There are another folks who are now going to, it is better to grow slower and to grow in a much more uh, organic and uh, healthy way. Uh, what, what is your take yep. on, 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 on aggressive growth? Yeah, it's so interesting because I came from this like really weird dynamic where when I came on board in 2015, it was grow. At all, it was not grow at all costs because that that doesn't uh, fully encapsulate the way that we thought. Mm -hmm. It was grow fast, right? So it was um, it was double, triple your growth as fast as you could, and um, so that was the environment that I quote unquote grew up in. Right? Was this hyper growth, and that is what powered patient pop, especially in the beginning of their, of their history, you know, it helped us onboard and hire great people. It helped bring a lot of attention It helped uh, get funding into our business. Cause we were growing like a rocket ship. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, obviously there have been some things that have happened in the past 12 to 18 months that have investors and companies thinking differently. And so, um, I, I like to think that patient pop was ahead of the way that we thought, uh, where we started to really, we cared about efficiency a lot, 
We were always driving cost of sale down, improving our lifetime value. I mean, those were things that we really cared about. So now that some of this stuff has happened in some unnamed businesses, you know, that we mm-hmm. won't talk about, um, I think today it's really, it's really grow in an efficient way, grow in a profitable way. Uh, I think that's going to be more and more important moving forward as we see some of these fiascos happening. Got it. And we like to talk about something that uh, that you uh, also are a great advocate about, which is going um, for niches and being laser focused as we grow. There is uh, this counterintuitive idea that as you grow from 50 to 150 people and to 300 people, uh, it needs to, to start to open up new avenues of growth and go to uh, a huge amount of verticals, a lot of geos, uh, a lot of segments, uh, mid-market, enterprise, small business, yep. everything at the same time. And sometimes this is a disaster for, um, this is a recipe for, for disaster or, or for failure. Um, in terms of focus, how do you drive focus as, as this is something so important for you to, to scale? Yeah, I was trained that way from the very beginning. So I was really fortunate. When I came into to ZocDoc back in 2009, the CEO and founder was a guy named Cyrus Masumi, and he really, really beat into me that like focus, focus, focus. That was the thing that we wanted to do. We wanted to prove out the New York market before we went and proved out any other market. And he wanted to go deep and he wanted to learn about every single solitary thing that he could learn about before we took it to a different market or a different vertical. So, so fortunately, I was trained that way. And when I when I came over to Patient Pop, to me. Um, there was so much opportunity in the SMB space in the, we sold to physicians, right? And Mm -hmm. for us, SMB was physician groups of one to five, very small. And um, I always considered something larger, uh, a different, a different vertical, um, a different geo. I considered those uh, distractions and I wanted to get extraordinarily good at our niche. And it's it's the way that I also build my career. So my entire career has been in SMB SaaS In 15 of 16 years of that has been in healthcare. So not only do I follow the, the riches are in the niches advice for the businesses that I run, but I also follow it for my own career. I stick in what I'm with what I'm good at. And uh, and I, I train my team and I run my my business units to be the same way. And I think, you know, anytime that we decide to go outside of our core focus area, we always started very small, right? We started very small with a very controlled experiment with a fail fast metric, a succeed fast metric. We tested, we involved the product team, the marketing team, the strategy team, and we were really, really careful about testing something outside of our comfort zone. And once we had, without a doubt, proven that test, we would sprinkle a little bit more it really took us a long time to press the gas pedal to the floor because we wanted to be sure that we were making the right spend and the right move. Got it. And and um, and how do you do you keep everyone motivated? And at the same time, how do you block a lot of ideas and distractions coming from the team? So there is always people that would tell you, maybe we should change the process, or we should go for this vertical, for this geo. We are seeing some interest here. And, you know, uh, keeping everyone uh, motivated to participate sometimes uh, is tempting and you don't want to say no. Uh, So how do you keep this kind of buy-in and enthusiasm at the same time be completely focused on on the ball and on the result? (laughs) We set the expectation up front. 
So there are two things that I generally do. Um, when I go out and I want to hire people or bring people onto my team, uh, I know this sounds really cliche, and you've probably heard this before, but I want mission-driven individuals. I want people who really understand the mission of our business. What are we trying to accomplish? And our mission was to help healthcare practices thrive. And I wanted people that cared about helping healthcare practices thrive and were driven by that mission. And when they came in, we set the expectation from the very first interview, right? This is what we do and this is why we do it. And if they were bought into that mission, it was a lot easier for us to keep them laser focused on what we wanted to do. Now, I think some, some companies, when they're so laser focused, they tend to shut other ideas out. And I wanted to make sure that we didn't do that or create an environment where people didn't feel free to share their, their ideas. So we had a really great opportunity uh, at Patient Pop to open ourselves up as a leadership team. And one of, one of the things that I've always really believed in and has come again from some of my training at the earlier businesses was um, allowing individual contributors, uh, you know, managers, directors, VPs, access to the executives on a regular basis so they could ask questions, make suggestions, understand what was going on in the business and really get the why, the what, and the how behind what we were doing. And I feel like when we exposed that and we were, when we were open and transparent, that people were more likely to understand why we were doing the things that we were doing and stay aligned with our mission. So that's how we, we focused on it. Good. Sounds amazing. And we, we move forward for the second ingredient that we consider critical to scale, which is, of course, uh, team. Uh, every single investor, every single founder who talk about the importance of, of, of team. You have been, you, you, you have moved through different um, scale up stages of the business. And uh, in general, we discussed that a leadership team. To, to scale a company from zero to five or five to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 50 needs to be, um, need, needs to be different. So we, we, sh we, we need to lead seven companies and we need to have seven different CEOs and seven different leadership teams. It doesn't mean that the CEO needs to be different or the VP of sales needs to be different, but they need to evolve to the, to the next stage that the next company needs in order to, to keep scaling the, the business. So how do you ensure that you don't become the bottleneck uh, of growth? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's such a great question. And maybe I'll be just really candid about it. Um, you know, we created a culture where it was okay to throw your hand up and say, I don't know how to solve this problem. Right. Um, we, we emphasized that from the very beginning of the creation of Patient Pop. And we also emphasized that in my previous business, ZocDoc. In fact, um, one of the values at ZocDoc that we carried over was speak up, right? And speak up meant a lot of things. But part of what speak up meant was, I don't know how to solve this problem. And I'm keeping this, um, this particular part of our mission from moving forward. And we evangelize that from the bottom to the top of the organization. So a lot of times people felt comfortable coming into our meetings and saying, hey, I know we're trying to do ABC, but frankly, I haven't done this before and I'm really confused and I'm really in over my head and I need some help. And for us, when, when that happened, um, you know, it became an indicator to us that we needed to bring in somebody that had that experience. And so I think we created that culture from the very beginning. 
myself as the leader of the revenue program, it was up to me to also evangelize that culture. So very candidly, about four and a half years in, I had brought the business from zero to 60 million. Every million dollars that I added to the business was a new environment for myself. Right. I had never been past three million. So four million was new, ten million was new, fifteen million was new. And uh, you know, I went to my co-founders and said, Hey, this is this is hard. <laughs> this is really challenging. We're 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 about to cross sixty million here and I need some help. And and very frankly, part of that was the reason that I stepped down in my role is because I wanted to show my team that I, I, I stuck with my values. And part of my values was not being the bottleneck. And towards the end of my career, I want Patient Pop to be a smash success. I want them to have somebody in a revenue perspective that has gone to 250 million. And that guy or gal is not me. And so I think by doing that, um, I set the tone and, and hope, hopefully led by example for others to raise their hand and say, I need some help here. That's an amazing answer and congratulations for that amazing uh, attitude as well. It's, it takes a lot of courage. It's uh, more difficult to do than, than to say, and, and you have done it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, want the, I want the business to do well. And, and I, you know, I try not to have a big enough ego where it, it, it gets in my way. So I, I, my, I'm a cheerleader from the sidelines. So yeah. that's, that's how I think about it. Also related with Tim, you have uh, mentioned it, uh, I think, at least two or three times uh, alignment and revenue alignment. And we know that, especially going from A to B, B to C, and from 1, 2 to 5, and 5 to 10 million ARR, the growth machine really needs to be in place and the revenue machine. And a lot of times we, we start building silos uh, across marketing, customer success, sales, product, and those teams are not working together and it's very difficult to have a cross-functional uh, mindset. And that's, that's when the time it's good sometimes to have a shift revenue officer who can bring everyone together because this is a full-time job and sometimes the CEO doesn't have the bandwidth or, or the COO if, 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 if there is anyone in place to do this, this job. But we also listen a lot of times CEOs saying that, uh, and, and we see this with the um, PayPal mafia, uh, when you have an amazing leadership team, all of them could be the CEO of the company. So they all yeah. can think holistically, even if they are experts on sales and they have a strength in sales or in marketing, but they could be the CEO um, at, at that time. And I see that you also have this kind of profile that you 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 can think about the company as uh, as a whole. So how do you how do you drive that alignment so all the pieces come together to build that growth machine? Yeah, and and I don't I'll, I'll run the risk of repeating myself a little bit, so my apologies. But like <laughs> I think it all I think it all comes down to starting early and having the right leaders in place early. And if you look at our last business, you know uh, I ran sales. Uh, a guy named Jared Jost ran marketing and a woman named Carla Nichols ran CS, customer success. And I think we got aligned very early in the history of the business around what success meant to the units in whole, right? And that we were all dependent on one another. So for instance, when I made decisions, uh, especially in uh, spending and revenue, Jared Jared was my partner in making those decisions. He wasn't just the VP of marketing. He was my revenue partner. And we had incredible sales and marketing alignment very early, really, truly working together to have a full view 
of the entire pre-sales and sales funnel using quantitative and qualitative feedback. We made decisions together. So he and I were very aligned from the beginning. Carla comes into the business and we all understood that sales was very much the precursor to implementation and that implementation was very much the precursor to customer success. So we spent a lot of time together and we made sure that decisions that we made that impacted one another's departments um, were made as a tandem, as a team. And I think what I see in a lot of fast-growing startups is not that people don't want to work together as a team. It's that things are moving so fast that they actually forget to work together as a team. And they make decisions very quickly. They make decisions inside of a silo. And before you know it, someone's left in the dark. And when someone's left in the dark, it has two consequences. The consequence, number one, is that it impacts their team. And the consequence, number two, is that it impacts that relationship. So if you have those two consequences, they're really hard to come back from. And I think at our last business, we did a really great job of getting aligned early. That's that's really a, a very good point. And um, I, I believe for the founders and executives who are listening to the podcast, it's really an important point and it's underestimated a lot, uh, the importance of spending time together and building a strong team. And I think this, this should be one of the key jobs of the CEO, uh, getting clarity over the vision, building an amazing team, uh, who is able, by the way, to build that vision and to build that strategy along with the CEO as a member of the team uh, himself or um, herself. Yeah, and, and Luke Curvin and Travis Schneider were the co-CEOs and co-founders of Patient Pop, and they really, really advocated team building, relationship building, department building. We had a lot of offsites. We worked together on a lot of projects, and they really instilled those values in the teams early. And I like to think that Jared or Carla could run the sales team really effectively. I like to think that Jared could run customer success or Carla could run marketing. And I like to hopefully think that they feel the same way about me. And, and that was really cool. The fact that we were very interchangeable with our skills and that we understood each other's departments really well. And, and we had our own unique skill sets that allowed us to be really successful at the same time. That's, that's really amazing. And it's a very good point. And we come to the, um, to the four key ingredients to, to scale, which is a, a culture of, of execution, uh, you're talking about some of the rhythms and how those rhythms are um, important. So what, what were some of the rhythms that you, that you think were really useful for you to, to scale your, your previous companies? Yeah, I'll start by saying, um, I think it's really important that people don't confuse what culture is and isn't. And when I'm out looking at other businesses, and I do a lot of advising and consulting for SMB SaaS businesses now, you know, when I ask about culture, when I dive into culture, I hear a lot of stuff that I don't love hearing, which is, you know, well, ping pong and dogs, and we have booze in the office and remote. And to, to me, those are amenities. Those aren't culture. To me, culture is really the attitude and behavior that your team exudes every day while they're pursuing your objectives. That is my definition of culture. So we try and set that culture as an expectation in the very beginning. And I don't mean when someone walks in on the first day of, of their job at our, mm -hmm. at our business. I mean the very first interview. The very first interview we said, this is what it's like to work at our business. This is how what you should expect when you come into our team. We set that through the first interview, to the first day, through the first quarter. And when you join my team, if I'm running the revenue team, there are very few, if any, surprises. So that's the first thing that we do is we're very upfront, 
candid and transparent about what you should expect when you come into our organization so that we hire the right people. The second thing that we do to really settle for alignment is we hire a specific type of person. Um, at Patient Pop, we really looked for curiosity and passion along with alignment with our mission. I wanted to hire good people, uh, good performers. I wasn't necessarily looking for logos or education or certain things that other folks look for. I look for curiosity, passion, and alignment with our mission because I truly believe that when you hire really incredible people, which I think is the number one job of the SVP of sales, when you hire really incredible people, they tend to inspire and attract other incredible people. So again, I know this sounds like a broken record, but my, my biggest thing from mm -hmm. alignment was starting at the very beginning and I got trained on that from 2009 onward in my career. So you start the right way and you finish the right way. So we tried to figure that out early on and, and install the right people into our organization to be successful. So what would you say uh, would be the, the critical ingredients to scale on, on your previous, previous experiences? Critical ingredients to scale. I would say probably people plus process is the, are the two critical ingredients and I saw someone today actually ask me this question. They said, what do you think is more important, you know, strong people or strong process? And man, I think they are both extraordinarily important, but I'd say that strong people are more likely to install strong process. So I would always give, I would always give them the, the leg up. So I know that's a really cliche like answer again. Um, but when, when we were hiring early, um, I went deep into my network. I, I didn't want to hire people I didn't know early on. I wanted to hire people that I knew would come in and set the tone and set the foundation for our growth. So when you look at the early employees in my last two businesses, they were people who you could connect to me very easily. I have about 25 people at Patient Pop that worked for me at a previous business, and they were all probably, you know, 25 of the first 40 hires that I made. So I knew who I was hiring. I knew what I was building. And I knew that I could bring people in who I could give autonomy to and trust to build the correct process because I had seen them done it, uh, do it before. So one more thing that I would say is really important for scale is leveraging your network and installing really talented people that you know you can trust early on versus taking a flyer on someone that you're unaware of. And and go a little bit more deeper into an area that I'm not an expert uh, at at all. So I like to say to to the CEOs that we work with, I'm not an expert in sales. I'm not an expert in marketing. Neither in customer success, product engineering, nothing. I'm I'm good at thinking about the system as a as a whole. And part of the job is to bring the ones who know about it, <laughs> so and yeah. align them them. So, but in terms of, we see a lot of times founders uh, struggling with building that repeatable, scalable, and profitable growth machine. Uh, and a lot of times it starts with dimension and it starts yep. with the SDRs. Um, so, and, and when it doesn't uh, go well, sometimes they start thinking about another ideas and other leverages like partnerships or um, alliances in order to try to solve the problem um, or moving from the initial problem to another problem and trying to hope that this will change completely the um, the results so sure. do, you, do you really believe that uh, when we are moving from dimension to another channels of growth 
what we are doing is just again distracting ourselves or or our dimension is not and SDR process is not and team is not the best way to to scale the business in in all uh, cases yeah I think it's I think it can be a subjective right I think that um, I mostly play in this in the SMB space. So my average contract value at my last couple of businesses was right around 15K. And we had a very short two-week sales cycle. So at 15K, you know, and again, it's different if it's 150K deals or a $1,500 deal where you become more limited in how you can build top of funnel. But for myself in the SMB space, um, we had to think holistically about our, our demand generation and where we brought our, our top of funnel in. So we recognize that at 15K, and with our decision maker on the web and researching marketing for their practices, we knew that we could do demand generation. We could do a combination of both direct and programmatic display campaigns, and we could do direct mail. And there's a bunch of different things that we could do. <laughs> but we also recognize that in the physician space, there's a limited number of physicians raising their hand and saying, I'm interested in marketing. So we, we believed that inbound you know, demand generation was the appropriate way to start. And so we started with that. And as we thought about that, we recognized that at some point, uh, whether it was a point of penetration in the market or whether it was a point of hitting a certain revenue target or ARR target, that that was going to start to flatline, right? At some point, we couldn't just keep dumping money into that and getting the same return. Mm -hmm. So we recognized we needed to be proactive about building an outbound team. But we also knew that at 15K, it was harder to make an outbound team, especially calling physicians, which is difficult, to make the unit economics work in the same way. So we started building an outbound team in, in preparation for that, that demand generation beginning to tail off or flatten. We built that 18 months in advance in preparation for that. But we also pushed that average contract value slightly up market so that we could make the unit economics work a little, a little bit better. And so now we had this all bound model going where we've got inbound demand generation, we've got outbound SDRs, but then we recognized, hey, there's only a certain number of physicians that you're going to be able to get on, on either demand generation or a cold prospect. And you were probably going to need some warm introductions. So in preparation for that happening, we started 18 months in advance and we started building a partnership program. And we were really, really fortunate to go out and land some strong partners during that early times of building that partnership program. And so by the time that I, I left, you know, we were doing, you know, 60 plus million in revenue and it was split relatively in thirds by inbound, outbound, and strategic partners. And so that was an indicator to me that we had planned effectively for um, each, each part of the funnel to taper off or, or perform you know, um, less than it was performing before. And, and so I think it's an all-bound approach, uh, especially when you're working in SMB SaaS. I think for enterprise, it could be, it could be different. And for smaller dollar value contracts, you could be talking self-serve, but I'm just simply not educated enough in those types of contract values to speak intelligently about it. Got it. This, this is really interesting. And you see some businesses like um, the founder of AppSpot uh, after he, he kind of achieved the 1 billion um, milestone in revenues uh, saying that Fortunately, it didn't listen to the advice of uh, um, VCs that was that were supporting them, uh, because they would uh, um, advise him to go to the enterprise space space to scale uh, easily. And uh, it, 
he, he has proven that it was possible to, to scale to 1B uh, exclusively with, uh, with mid-market um, clients. Uh, I know that this is, again, very subjective, but when, the, when should a company start thinking about moving upstream and going to larger uh, ACVs and larger um, contract values? Um, is there, maybe there is not a perfect time, but uh, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, I don't I don't know when the right time is. And you know, my my real niche and my real specialty is SMB, but you know, kind of outside of timing, I would think more about the how. How how do you do it? And and I will leave by the way and, and hopefully this this comes across the right way. I will leave the when to go up market to those folks that have gone up market really successfully and and for me we stayed very very niched. But if I were to do it, here's how I might think about it. Um, I would start really small, right? I would start very, very small um, with a small pool of, of what we would think about our ICPs. I'd really narrow in on who we believed our ideal customer profile was. And if I'm thinking about my last business, we started having these larger sort of mid-market and enterprise size deals coming to us inbound. And we sold a few of them. And we looked at the ones that we sold and we looked who was really successful. We looked who, who wasn't very successful, who weren't very successful. And we started to narrow in on what our ideal customer profile for that specific segment really, really looked like. What were the similarities between the, the customers that did really well on our platform and gave us really high NPS scores? And as we, we did do a little mid-market at PatientPop, we started to narrow in on our ICP. Um, I worked really well with marketing and product in our strategy sessions in this very small pilot, especially early on, to get alignment with, from a product perspective, what were the things that these customers had in, in that were similar that they asked for from a product perspective? Always different than SMB. More custom features, more this, more integrations, you always wanted that. And then from a marketing perspective, what was what was going to be our strategy? Because it wasn't necessarily going to be demand gen or ripping outbound dials, asking for the same person all the time. It was more of an ABM strategy. And so to me, you needed whomever you were using in your revenue org, so your salesperson. You needed myself. You needed Jared and then our head of product, Christoph, to come into a room and really start small. Make some hypotheses. Make sure the product is ready. Have an ABM marketing strategy. Start small and see where you end up. And we were able to do some decent revenue in the mid-market, but ultimately, like I can't speak as competently on it as probably some other folks can that have, have gone really deep in it. Got it. That's, that's quite amazing, and uh, it's time to get to the to the end of the show. And we have so much more to cover. But if you would have the opportunity to come back to your times at Zocdoc, uh, and you would meet uh, Justin Welsh in person at that time, what advice would you offer him? Yeah, my favorite piece of advice is to invest in yourself. I think that so many young, it's not just young people, it's, it's a lot of people, but I think so many, so many people who are, let me say this, so many people who are early on in their careers, especially in technology, especially in really fast growing startups where resources are not as plentiful as a Fortune 500 company, sit around and say, how is someone going to turn me into the next big sales performer or the next big manager or the next big director or VP? And the folks that I've seen and the people that have come out of ZocDoc 
are amazing. I mean, you're looking at CEOs, you know, COOs, SVPs at, at about 50 different businesses. And when I look at those people who, like myself, have grown and, and reached the executive level, what I saw is a significant investment in themselves early on, right? Training themselves outside of work, reading continuously, reading blogs, listening to podcasts, going to events, exposing themselves to mentors, uh, hooking up with the people who are the top performers in their business, and really treating their business as though it was the number one most important thing in their lives versus sitting around and kind of hoping that through osmosis, you know, they became uh, really strong performers. So the, thing, the things I always tell people who are working for me is invest in yourself, invest your time, invest your money, invest your energy in your career. What better investment do you have than yourself? And the second piece of advice I always tell people is play the long game. Don't, don't move around for an extra five K here, an extra 10 K there because your buddy says it's a great place to work. Go to a place that you're passionate about where the leadership team is incredible, where there are people around you that you can learn from and spend time there acquire skills, fail a lot, learn a lot of lessons, and stay around. It's really hard to learn when you jump around so quickly. So stick it out and work through some of the tough challenges of working at a hyper-growth startup. Because when you solve those challenges and it's time for you to move to your next business, you will have seen how they got solved. And when you see how challenges are solved, you can be the solver in the future. So, you know, I stuck at ZocDoc for five years. It was a tough place to work and it was an awesome place to work. And they grew really fast. And boy, am I glad I stayed there. That's amazing. Justin, thanks so much for sharing your experience uh, with us uh, from zero to 60 million uh, with Patient Pop and, and Doc, uh, ZocDoc. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And um, look forward to talking with you again soon. Uh, to our community, thanks for being on that side. We keep bringing the best of the best to help you scale from two to an million ARR as soon as possible. See you soon and keep scaling. <laughs>